Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week. As usual, it's me, Alex Williams-Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis of MagicalGuru.com. Enough about me. This week, I am honoured to have a gentleman who is, to the best of my knowledge, the first stage hypnotist in the world to ever have a website when the internet started. He most certainly was the first ever um, person to run a stage hypnosis online chat, well, kind of group and news page thing called Hypnostage, where there are articles on the business and stuff. Um, he, he seems to have been around forever. Um, you know, when the internet started, I found stuff about him that was like years ago. And let me tell you, you would not recognize, if you go searching, you would not recognize the man you see then to the man you see now because he has lost so much weight. Oh, yeah. I will be asking about that later. So please welcome to the show the legend of stage hypnosis, James Dellis. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I don't, know, I don't know about the legend part, but yeah, I've been in stage hypnosis. <laughs> Forever. Forever, yeah. Well, since, since 78, I got involved in 78. So So for the viewers that don't know, or if anyone who's into stage hypnosis will know, but the therapists who are watching this who might be interested in looking at stage in the future won't know your background. I do, and there's some amazing stuff you can tell us like doing the Rainmaker show and all that. How did you get into show business in other words? I got I got to show business. I got started doing magic with my cousin when I was like 16 years old. A friend of ours was in magic and he came he showed us a vanishing sword, a vanishing cane. Oh. And we were I was I was blown. I said I want to buy that. I want to buy that. And uh, I got involved in magic and did magic shows for many many years. And after about 6 years I got kind of burned out on it. And I, went, I moved to Hollywood, and I was working for a old vaudevillian, uh, Ralph Lane. And he had a magic shop in Hollywood, and he had a little stage and a demonstration area and do little shows and sell stuff afterwards. But he was a big-time vaudevillian magician, and this is in 74. And uh, so now he was designed to have this little second-story shop off Hollywood Boulevard, and he had all the beautiful wood illusions and yeah, pet chimpanzee. Yeah. And I thought, well, this guy was big and look where he is now. And that just kind of soured me on magic because he he had nothing really to show for his career. Oh, so yeah. after that, I went back to Michigan. I moved from, I'm from Michigan. I moved to Hollywood and then moved back to Michigan. Never really thought about getting back into performing. And um, I stayed back in Michigan for about uh, two years and didn't, you know, once you go into California, you love the climate. Went out to, back to San Francisco in 70, 78 without any idea of ever performing again because I didn't want to do magic. And um, there was a new tourist attraction called Pier 39 that opened up in San Francisco. And they were looking for somebody to do a rainmaking show. And they had hired an actor to perform. And the actor quit after a week. And they ran an ad in the paper, the Sunday, the Sunday San Francisco Chronicle Examiner. And of all the people that applied, they hired me because I was the only person that applied. <laughs> oh, I, okay. So it was kind of cool. They, they, they had this big truck 
and they had two hidden sprinkler systems that were radio controlled. And um, he said, just come up with an eight minute spiel. I, this, this, my whole routine was so corny and so bad that it, and it, people loved it. People absolutely loved it. It was just that bad. And I did that for a couple of years. And when I was doing my show, a, a friend of mine gave me a self-hypnosis cassette and I loved it. And I thought, well, this is pretty incredible. And once again, this is 78, 79. And there was a new thing called Showtime. You know, it came out and everybody's going, oh, who's going to pay for TV? Showtime you know, is for free. And I see Pat Collins, the hip uh-huh, hypnotist. Uh-huh. And I thought, whoa, I could do that. Just like that. And I, I said, I, and I went out and I bought a book, uh, a clinical book, and I read the induction to my buddy. And he went under like a light. First person I ever talked to. And he just dropped. And I just read from a book. And I said, on the count of five, you're going to take your shoe off and walk out in the hallway. And that was someone who knew you before you knew yeah. anything about hypnosis. So that goes totally against the general advice of don't try to hypnotize anyone yeah. who knows you. And I had a talent for it, and I, I bought Arvin McGill's professional stage hypnosis, and I taught myself. And it, it took me about three years to do it. And but, and I was I was pretty successful. You know, I, I, I was in San Francisco at the time, based in San Francisco, and I had the San Francisco market pretty well sewn up, and I didn't know how to get it past that because I had taught myself. I wasn't taught by a stage hypnotist. I didn't know marketing. I didn't know how to market. I had no idea how to market my shows. And um, it just happened. I was at a convention and there was a new thing out called the Internet. New to me and new to the general public. It had probably been around for a couple of years by then. This is 76, 90, 95. And they gave me a little floppy disk. Mm-hmm. And I put it in my computer. And I connected to my 14K modem. And I looked at it and I thought, First thing out of my mind was, wow, I would never have to send out another press kit in my life. I would never have to send, you know, I might have to send out a video, but I wouldn't have to send out the photos and the letters of recommendation and the bio that you had to send back in the day. Because I had a pretty, I had a pretty uh, amazing press kit. It was professionally done, and it was probably about, at the time, probably about $15 to send each one out. My right, back then. Back then. Yeah, so that's, that, that, that's expensive. In UK sterling, current exchange rate, that's roughly about eleven pounds sterling, and yeah. that was back in what year? Ninety four, ninety five? Seventy, ninety, ninety five. Yeah, ninety five. Yeah. That 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 that, that blimey! That that that's an expensive publicity package then. Well, remember back in the day, you would send out your press kit. And it would be it would be in a little folder, you know, you mm-hmm. from the the office depot and had the pockets put your, your stuff on either side and your business card in it. Well, I, I had mine professionally printed and embossed and my name embossed and pockets put in and my all, all my stuff was just Classic. top of the line, you know, because my wife was a graphic artist, so she did all the work for free. And uh, mm-hmm. so so when the internet came out, it was like, whoa, this will send me a ton of money. First thing that came out of my mind. So it was, I was using, M- MCI was my inter- my uh, long distance provider because there was no internet providers back then, but they also did internet and it was a dollar a minute to get on the internet. And I would I would get three to $400 phone bills every month and my wife would be so mad at me. So I thought, so I'd ask people, you know, how, how do you, how do you get a webpage? 
well, it was simple. You just, you just FTP a programmers. I'm like, what's FTP? What do you mean, talk? So I found out uh, by, by trial and error that if I went to a web page and opened it in the view source, it showed the text. Yeah. So I would I would copy the text down, I would paste it onto a page, and I found a file transfer protocol program, FTP, file transfer protocol. Mm-hmm. Back then, you had to select binary or ASCII. And I would type some stuff in, and I would upload it, see how it looked. So, oh, okay, that's what that does. And type something else in, and say, oh, that's how that works. So I got I taught myself how to do code because nobody knew how to do it. What the hell? And my wife and I, we sat there and we went back and forth for about two or three days. We got a fairly decent looking website up there. And I was fat back then. You know, so I I didn't put my picture up there. I put my uh, poster. By the time the internet was out, I already had that beautiful, zealous poster that you have hanging as as a shrine in your house, I'm sure. Yeah, it's uh, downstairs. Yeah. And so I put the poster up there on top of my page. And um, then about a year and a half after they had the website up, my wife, once again, who was a graphic artist, did a uh, the packaging for Pinnacle. And Pinnacle came up with a video capture board. Uh-huh. And I, I had, uh, this is back in, this would have to be back in, oh, 96, 96, 90, maybe even 90, as early as 97. And uh, Adobe Premiere just came out with Adobe Premiere 10 and it had digital editing. And I put, and I bought, I, I bought, I spent $5,000 on a 50-inch TV, but I spent $6,000 on a Pentium 90, custom-made Pentium 90 computer. And it was $6,000 $6, in 1996 money. And it was the fastest computer they made at the time. A Pentium, you laugh right now, I'm at a Pentium 90. And I put the video card in there, and I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to import some video, and I put a couple clips up there. Just for the heck of it, because I had a PayPal account, mm-hmm. I'm looking for sale. So I rendered two two one-minute clips, and it took five hours to render one minute of video back then. Yeah. It was just a tiny, like, one-by-one one little square box of video. And I put some still pictures up there, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put this up there for sale, just for the heck of it. And um, put it up there. And I thought, well, you know, I've got my tour schedule on my website back then and my address. Mm-hmm. And, if and I, maybe it's not a good idea to put your tour schedule on your address up there. So I got a P.O. box. And so long story short, I put the videos up there. I put the still pictures up there. My wife and I, we go on the road for a couple months and never doing the thing about it. Because I'm thinking, these are just two shows out of random that nobody knows. And I go to the, I go to the P.O. box. And literally, there's a, a stack this high of checks for people that yeah. want to buy these two shows. Excellent. So, yeah. So that that was that was actually the first live video, station Dosis video ever on the internet. And um, so I got, as I got to know the internet better, I found that uh, the more links you had, the higher your page went up in the rankings. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started my world zealous worldwide hypnosis links page. And this grew into a monster. And this launched, I just had somebody tell me the other day, this launched their career. I've had like five people tell me this. Back in the day before Google, that was the place you went to. Everybody in the internet went to the Zealous Hypnosis webpage to find hypnotists all over the world. 
And the only, I'd, I would list anybody for free, didn't charge anybody anything. The only thing they couldn't be is a stage hypnotist competing in the same market as me. But yeah. hypnotherapist and stage hypnotist from all over the world, you know. So that, that boosted my page up. And um, so I got really lucky because I didn't know how to market myself. And because of the internet, I never really had to learn because I was getting all these bookings. Oh, well, you did learn because you learned how to put the website together and video editing. After about five years of the website really going good, I was getting enough referrals so that, you know, so-and-so college seen me and they, I did did a show for Columbia University. This is is a funny story. I did their uh, orientation. And I guess one of the kids' dads works for HBO. And I just got back from doing the show and I get a call. I goes, hey, Jim, this is HBO. We want to hire you. Oh, the TV station. Yeah, yeah, but not for not to do a show. All right. I want you to do a corporate party. Okay. So, you know, and uh, so it was one of those type of things. That's that's how I got all my work. His his son seen me at the uh, Columbia orientation and told his dad, and his dad hired me for them. And I did the corporate show for HBO, which led to other corporate bookings. And it was just you know, it was just always always high marketed myself. I went on, I went against the norm. Back back when it was expensive to call people, a lot of hypnotists would have 800 numbers on their website. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it because I, I always thought if they can't afford the phone call, they can't afford the show. You know. Very very damn good point, that James. And if you watch all my old promotional videos, it's just clips of my shows, and it's like clip 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 clip. Here's my phone number. Here's my name. And I thought, well. This is a show. I'm not going to do you the hard sell. If you like it, book me. If not, then don't book me. I've always had that attitude, but I've always been successful, which just kind of goes against the norm. So. Well, I can see that the fact is you were the first with a website. You were the first with videos there. Um, so you, you had the foot in the Internet, so to speak, before everyone else. Therefore, you had the credibility that yeah. grows. And with the word of mouth, that's. Well, now, you know, several decades later, you you are a legend in the industry, simple as, whether you, whether you think it or not. Um, so these days, obviously, you've got a website, goes without right. saying, the exact same domain name as it was back then, which people can see in the background, zealous.com. And interestingly, I would suggest that if you go on Web Archive, if you go on Google, type in <laughs> Archive, you can put, uh, there's a box on there that says search websites. And if you put zealous.com in, it doesn't go all the way back to 1994, 95, but it does go back a lot of years. And you can see how his websites evolved. Um, it was, it was, was uh, of it. yeah. It was January, January 16th of 1998 that I went to, I actually switched over to zealous.com because I had, Parked it at another domain, slipnet.com forward slash tilde zealous.html. Oh, that's why it only goes back that far on Web Archive then. Yeah. I thought it was just it only got around to archiving it then. Yeah, well, because the, the slipnet sold, you know, space to everybody else. And then I, I bought zealous.com. It was $100. And people, $100? Are you crazy? American Online gives you a free website for nothing. Yeah. And people were going, Zealous, they're not, nobody's going to know how to search Zealous. Nobody knows how to spell your name. So it was kind of, it was going every, 
everything people told me I shouldn't do, I was doing. Then the big debate back then, of course, with the Internet was, you don't leave your inductions on your shows when you sell them, do you? I go, yeah. Oh, people are going to watch that and be hypnotized. They're going to sue you. I would never do that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You sell self-hypnosis CDs, the induction on it, the same thing applies, you know? And people would buy my shows to see the inductions. People love to watch other people go under. Do you still, I mean, I, I guess that you do sell, uh, you know, well, DVDs or pen drives these days or, or downloads or whatever of your show. Do you leave the induction in still? It's, it's, a, it's I call it a live taping. I, I don't edit anything. Beginning to the end, whatever happens, happens. But I switch. Here's just something, Jonathan. A couple of years ago, I switched to, uh, I bought a um, space on um, Vimeo. All right. right. Yeah. You sell my videos. I was putting full videos on YouTube of my shows, like a lot of hypnotists did. And I thought, well, wait a minute. One, when I do that, YouTube flags a lot of my videos because of the, the music copyrights in the background. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of a lot of people that wandered by my shows, like and I have friends, fans in Aruba, they couldn't buy the DVDs because if I sold them a twenty dollar DVD, it might be ninety dollars in tariffs. So I, I decided to go downloading. So now what I'll do is uh, I'll offer the show. Like I did a couple of shows this week, this month, and I said to the people, I can either give you two free DVD copies of the show, the clients, of course, or I can give you a private link. And this private link will let you share it with everybody. You can download it and burn it to DVD yourself. And whoever, and they'll be also see the show. It's just whoever you give this link to, you know, will have access to the show. And I sell them, I sell them also on that site too for $25. And they sell them really big. I've got people in my instant, second I put a video up, they buy them. As people in China and people, yeah, in England and all over the country, they don't want to pay the tariffs for to buy an actual DVD, and they can they can download them and burn them anyhow. So, so yeah. And it's only like uh, let me write two hundred dollars, about two hundred dollars a year, isn't it, for a Vimeo Pro account? So it's nothing on a monthly basis. And the therapist, you could do that as well, you know. Um, That's assuming you start making self-help videos, then you could do that it's a good, good thinking um so what what do you see the future of stage hypnosis being do you think there is a future for it in 10 20 years time now that people are getting more politically correct worldwide i know over here in england uh, i used to do at the beginning the sucking and licking in the ice cream we've all done it it's and one person gets given the dildo now people oh no you can't do that fine give them a banana so you've got the suggestive element there but not a dildo somebody might take a sneaky photo and put it on social media and then the boss might see it and they might get the sack of the school teacher and there's so many new considerations what do you make it of it all the, the, the states are even worse I, 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 I taught a class last year at hippothoughts live called uh, stage hypnosis in the me too generation and it talks about doing gender-neutral shows. Oh, people, get, people get offended if you say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Do you believe God. that? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So you have to say, good evening, everybody. And it can't be any male or female-specific bits. And you can't, you know, they, they you have to say, uh, is it okay if I touch you? 
Is it, if it's okay, I touch your shoulder. That's that's how that's how sensitive people are getting, you know. Oh and a lot of hypnotists don't know how to do general gender neutral shows, and it, it takes them for a loop. But it's, it's not it's not that hard to do. It's just the first time you hear it, it kind of takes you by surprise. It's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, my, my grand my, my grand shows, which in the states are high school seniors. I used to do the penis is missing and. You know, I mean, that kind of at a high school grand night, but now in Chippendale, guys take their shirts off and women are Victoria's Secret models. Mm-hmm. Now that's considered too risque. It, 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 I don't, I can't get my head around it because on the one hand, that's, it's too risque and they're going on about, oh, you've got to do gender neutral shows and, and all that. And that's happening in all walks of life. But on the other hand, we're getting more what I would call potentially more potentially offensive shows on the telly. Like I don't I don't even know if they have things like it in America, but in England we have a thing called Love Island, which is basically yeah, people yeah, yeah. get dumped on an island to cop off with each other and have sex and 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 but that's okay to be on TV, but we can't say, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> When, when I did the show for HBO years ago, I asked them, I said, what's your most popular show? And I thought they were going to say The Soprano. They go, anything with sex in it. Really? Yeah. Anything with sex in it that is their most popular show. And then, I, you know, that's why I, I love doing comedy clubs, adult comedy shows, because I'll tell people, you know, if, if you're offended, this isn't the place to be. I'll tell you right now, there's going to be stuff that's going to offend you. So don't come up. So if they do come up, they've been warned. Mm. Uh, but I think it's just fair. If you go, if you go to the adult hypnosis show, then you've got to expect adult situations. Well, yeah, exactly. As long as it's been advertised clearly what it is someone's going to, then on their own head, be it. Yeah, it should be. I can't believe that people can then go and be offended when they've already been madness. Now in America, you've, you're fortunate that there's a there's a there's a Apart from America being much bigger than over here in England, but aside from that, you've got a marketplace open to you that in England we just don't have because of this ridiculous 1952 Hypnotism Act in England. We're not allowed to hypnotise anyone under the age of 18 without parental consent. And even then, we're not allowed to do it in a stage hypnosis show because um the local licensing authorities wouldn't grant a license for the show to take place but over there you can do schools and high schools and proms like end of school locking all right there's like locking where you get locked in overnight so the kids can't get out and yeah how's that all work it's just you know you know what that law was isn't it a lot of throwback to the uh the guy that did the bit where uh he told the person they were being electrocuted in the chair, and a week later, she said the lady died of a heart attack. Is that how they passed that law in the UK? Well, no, that's um, a bit of a that's a bit of um, an urban myth. And the, okay. the only time someone did that routine and then somebody died was that they died that night, several hours afterwards. Yeah. And the coroner's report proved it had nothing to do with being hypnotised. Although, yeah, she had been given the electric shock suggestion. But she choked yeah. on her own vomit. And that was in 1990, um, 19, end of 1993. The 52 Hypnotism Act came in because, no offence to Americans, 
But yes, it was an American that screwed things up for British hypnotists. A guy called Ralph Slater came over to England uh, doing shows and by all accounts, apparently didn't wake somebody up properly who ended up claiming to be depressed. And then a lot of people campaigned for it to be banned. But a guy called Peter Casson, who was working the theatres in England at the time, uh, managed to get some influence and say, don't ban it, regulate it, but don't ban it. Otherwise, it would have been banned entirely. I'm, sur I'm surprised they're going to start banning it here because there's so many unqualified stateship that's just doing some dangerous stuff out there. You now, know? that's interesting. What's your definition of unqualified? Because we both know stage hypnosis. Well, you may have a totally different opinion, and that's another question. What do you yeah. think takes place with the volunteers on stage? I think, basically, they're a bunch of attention-seeking idiots. Well, that's part of it, yeah. They, 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 they're giving you permission to 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 they come on stage for the attention. Hmm. Long story short. And, uh, and they, they'll sit there. I mean, I'll, I'll have somebody, and I'll make them do every single outrageous thing in the world, and at the end of the show, they'll square up and down. They weren't hypnotized. You know? But... Um, they um i i think i think what, what one of the things that i think a lot of hypnotists unqualified hypnotists don't know how to do is at the end of the show is to reverse suggestions i see i watch a lot of hypnotists show i mean it's a simple thing like saying fred before i bring him out of the induction i'll say all the suggestions i give you both consciously and subconsciously are completely and totally gone from your memory and i'll repeat it twice and that's just a that's just a you know because yeah, true. The, the suggestions might not last longer after the show, but they, it could happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And or the the, the uh the, they they ban the uh, stretching over the chairs. That used to be you know we put a person between two chairs and make them stiff as a board. Yeah, full body catalepsy. So yeah. kind of uh, well depends how you do it. But um the majority of them stick it on the shoulder blades one side and ankles on the other, yeah. which is well, relatively safe. But some people actually stick it on the neck. Neck. Yeah. Delabar, who taught me, actually did did it on the neck, and then he'd stand on them as well. I, God knows. Well, what yeah. He did. When I was doing body, body catalepsy, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even suggest that I was going to stand on because I was so heavy. I thought just a suggestion I'm, I'm gonna, that would bring him out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they're back to snap. Yeah. So, so I mean, what's the situation like over there with the insurance because over here we, we, we can get insurance but from very limited sources and it has obviously gone up in price over the years as there's been less suppliers the price has gone up and vice versa because of incidents occurring with inexperienced or badly trained people who haven't fully removed all suggestions or have done full body catalepsy and for the record before anyone puts a comment under this video when it goes live going you know, how can you criticize anyone doing catalepsy uh, i know i did do it for a couple of decades it was my signature end of the show I, I do then i had one accident yeah fortunately the person wasn't hurt badly okay. uh, and it wasn't while anyone was standing on them but they just suddenly kind of started fire. I managed to catch them. Me and this other guy, they brought them on, catched them, but they knocked their head a little bit on the back of this chair as they caved in. And I just thought that day, not doing it anymore. And I haven't done it since. Well, if, if you go on my YouTube, YouTube channel, you'll see the very first show I ever did. 
And first successful show I ever did it. I recorded on a beta beta camera way back when. Wow. And I did the body catalepsy. And the, this guy's like six foot four. And I pick him up by the shoulders. And the guy's got him by the legs. And I almost dropped him. He's so heavy. Oh, God. But I get him on the chair. It worked. But take, taking him off, he was so heavy, I almost dropped him. So after that, I picked the smallest person I could. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I used to say the joke was... I used to say to them, do you have any back problems? They go, no. Before I did it, I had it. Do you have any back problems? They go, no. And I'd say to my breath, you will. (laughs) (laughs) But I always did like you. I always did it safely with the shoulders. I knew how to do it. And yeah, and I always had two two people at at the end of the chairs watching them and two people lifting them. I'd have people lift them and I'd watch everything. I'd supervise everything. But I had to stop. I do it to this day, but I can't. If I hurt something, my insurance won't cover I think yeah. it's an amazing demonstration. It's very impressive. Whether it involves real hypnosis or not is people debate it, but it's a very impressive suggestion to show people. Yeah. Do you think there's actually any such thing as real hypnosis? Well, all right, I'll, I'll say specifically first in the context of stage hypnosis. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to define it. I just know I'm making money off of it. Excellent. People will debate whether it's real or if it's not. I don't know. That's up for you to decide. I'm convinced enough so that I know that I can make money off of it. That's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I know their hypnotize is real. I can hypnotize people under on the stage and give them suggestions to quit smoking. And it's just as if they went to a hypnotherapist. So there, there's a certain element of it that's real. You know, but what is stage what is hypnosis for that matter? What is reality? We would use stage hypnosis long enough. What is reality? If if I can tell somebody that, you know, a lemon tastes like an apple, and they'll eat a lemon without any reaction. I used to do the, the, the ammonia. Remember the oh, old days? I, yeah. I used to have a bottle of ammonia. They smell the cologne. One, one of the first things I used to do before I knew better. Did you, know, you actually use real ammonia? Oh yeah. I didn't. I didn't know. Orvin McGill's book. All right. Uh, so you didn't fake it because I, I used to. I've, I've, I I did that oh. stunt years back for a TV thing in England. But what I had. Um, m- there's a mid- with your magical background, you'll know what I mean immediately. But I had kind of like, a, oh shit, you know, it looked like um, it looked like a jug, but with, with a lid, like a mini dog pan type arrangement. Yeah. So it had an insert, so that it could be open, stink of bloody the ammonia. The lid casually put on. Apparently, they're given a suggestion. Lid's taken off, but that removes the container that was slipped in the top that had the ammonia in and what was inside actually did smell nice okay it was guaranteed that they would go it smells beautiful now and it looked it looked just the same for tv um but you actually did it with real ammonia i never i even thought about that i thought yeah i'll I'll try with ammonia (laughs) and it works (laughs) and i used to have me the lemon too i used to give him a lemon tell it was an apple every show no, I used to use onions, but lemon, um, yeah, a bit I, more. I used to use onions, yeah. 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 If you watch, if you watch, especially the early shows, you'll see Urban McGill's induction word for word. As watch as I bite into this juicy, bitter lemon. See how the succulent, sour juices drip from the lemon. As I see your mouth watering. That's a power suggestion. As I suck in this, oh, this bitter lemon, word for word from Urban McGill's book. And I guarantee, loads of you, oh my God. I just have to swallow. 
because I did, there'll be loads of you at home that have just been salivating, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so you definitely, I mean, okay, so we all started off by NLP, we'll call it modelling, um, emulating, copying, whatever, somebody else. But then over time, you develop your own uh, bits and ideas or, or change things a bit. What do you think about the whole debate? Well, I say debate. The whole argument amongst stage hypnotists of, oh, you've stolen my bloody routine. Now, I get it if it's word for word scripting, but you, you get them going, oh, because you're, you know, you, you've stolen my routine because you're doing the flipping um the pop star who is the Madonna sketch or whatever, if a new pop star comes along, everyone obviously independently thinks of doing the same famous pop star, don't they? The 10 year battle in the States over who invented the voodoo doll. You know, there's like four hypnotists that were going at it. I, you know, if I see something you, you do and I like it, I'm going to do it. That's my attitude. I won't do it word for word. I'll put my own mm. spin on it. But if I, if I see, if I see something you do on your show, I'll, I'll take it. I'll tell people, people ask me, I came up with maybe a handful of original things in my, my whole 40 year career. Uh, like, and people say to me, can I do that bit? Like the, the tickling gun. I can't, when I was, my wife, you know, I was in Liverpool, you're mm -hmm. next to neighbors. And we were in Liverpool. I found these two little cool little ray guns and they made noises and flashlights. So I did this tickling gun a bit. And I've been doing that for 30 years and it, it's really good. And I've had people come up to me and say, hey, do you mind if I do that? Here's, here's something funny, Jonathan. I did I did the Hypno Thoughts in 2014. Yeah. And uh, one of the things they do at my shows is the theatrical bow. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Where if all the people on stage join hands and raise their hands in the air. And I'll say, hold your applause till I ask you to, everybody. And I, I'll, I'll say, i got to count of five, everybody. Stand up. Take the person's hand on the other side of you. I'll take the hand. I'll say, raise those hands in the air. Now, see, about half of the, the stars of the show, everybody on stage will join hands and take a big theatrical bow. And I knew when I did that at HypnoThoughts that that was the last time it was going to be my bit. And sure enough, the, the guys right after me on the same stage tried doing it. And within months, every single stage hypnotist in the States, or a lot of them were doing that routine. So I don't care. You know, it, it was seemed like a good idea, idea at the time when I came up with it. Go for it, you know. Just don't don't do it word for word. And I, I can see where people get pissed when they there are some hypnotists in the states, English one in particular, who steal people's routines word for word, exact same wording, and that's where I have a problem. Yeah, I mean that 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 is taking it ridiculousness. Um, on side note, voodoo wise, uh, the voodoo doll routine. I know there's a version of it in. Secrets of Stage Hypnosis by Professor Leonardo, published in 1918, <laughs> where it mentions about having like a rag doll and moving it and the person doing it in tap. So might even predate that. Yeah, I, 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 some people say that there's nothing original in comedy. And at its core, obviously, there are only certain areas of comedy um, just like in magic, there's only certain magic tricks, penetration, levitation, production, disappearance, about seven, nine or 12, depending on whose list you look at. With stage hypnosis, what there's not that many things you can really do, is there? Um, 
the variations on yeah. the it's, it's, yeah, variations of certain music. When you hear this, you'll do this. When I see this, you'll do that. You think this is going on, but this isn't. Those are just variations of themes of, of you know. Here, here, I'm, I'm doing, I'm teaching, a, not teaching a class. I'm doing a class at Hypno Thoughts. It, it, my, my course is free. I mean, Hypno Thoughts for people out there is, don't know it. Hypno Thoughts Live is a three-day conference in Las Vegas. And I know the people who put it on. And their, their intentions from the time the website got started to this day have been nothing but to spread quality hypnosis training and information as, as, as far as possible. And it's not political. It's not like certain other hypnosis groups. And I've, I've been backing them since I first heard about them in 2008. And they started doing conferences in Las Vegas, three-day conferences. And anyhow, I'm doing next next year in April, August. I'm doing a class on how to make your show stand out. And what, what what drives me crazy is I'll see some really good stage hypnotists up there, and they'll do the same things. People sit in the chairs. They're playing in a band. They're on a roller coaster. They're driving a car. They never get out of the chairs, and they do the exact mm -hmm. same routines as every other stage hypnotist because that's who they learn from, you know. So I'm I'm teaching people how to how to take chances. Um, I, I I used to do I used to uh, love doing it, the Elvis, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis Presley, or you know now now it's uh, Bruno Mars. Mm -hmm. But it, it got boring for me, but people loved it, and I found that if I get bored with something, I don't do it well. So I thought, okay, well people love it, I don't want to drop it from my skip. What can I do to make it fun for me? So I got the idea, and I thought, I'm going to get in trouble for doing this. I got the biggest Sharpie, magic marker Sharpie I could find. Okay. And uh, Elvis would be singing, and everybody on stage would be the biggest fans. Then I'd say, oh, who didn't get a chance to dance with Elvis? Well, I didn't, I didn't. Who wants an autograph? I do, I do, I do. I said, come on up. You a piece of paper? No. Well, can you sign your arm? Sure. And they'll roll their sleeve, and they'll big, thick magic marker, all my love, Elvis. Mm -hmm. I thought people would be so pissed. And of course, there's the guys, do my forehead, I would learn, or the women, do my boobs. Well, yeah. And I would be so pissed that I've done that for a good 10, 12 years, nobody's ever complained. I was doing a show and I only had like six people on stage and I didn't want to lose anybody. And uh, one of the people woke up and it was obvious they were, they were awake. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to show you why you shouldn't wake up in a hypnosis show. I said, <laughs> The person sitting next to you, your nose is running. Luckily, the person that they had a green shirt, the person that your nose, your head is resting on a big green Kleenex, wipe your nose. So throughout the show, they would take their, wipe their nose on the person next to them. They go, oh, oh, oh. I thought, once again, I thought people would be mad at it. People love it. Nobody's ever gotten offended. So I, I'm out there seeing how, you know, show some, some, Lack of chess and balls on stage. Don't don't be afraid. Excellent. I, I love I love the way you're clearly wired up, sense of humour wise. And what well, you've just related those couple of examples there, I immediately thought, well, this sounds just like your cousin's sense of humour. Well, we had well. the exact same sense of humour. Believe me. We so for anyone watching who may not have worked out or doesn't know. James's cousin is Jonathan Zellis, better known in the magical and comedy world 
as the amazing Jonathan. And uh, if you if you tap the amazing Jonathan into Google, you'll see there's been like at least two documentaries released in the past six months, one of which is free on YouTube. The other you've got to go and see in the cinema that are well worth looking at. And well, yeah, it's very similar. Pardon? Here's my amazing Jonathan look. Yeah. And anyone who doesn't know, you will see that that is basically an <laughs> image. Did you look remarkably like each other, especially when you did that facial I'm expression? Then much older and much better looking cousin. <laughs> oh dear. Well, well you, you did used to you did used to work together at one time, didn't you? Well, yeah. When I got, I got that's who I got the magic with in, in Michigan. You know, I was 16 and he was like 13, 12 or 13. And we, I'd drive him to magic shops and we'd buy stuff. And he, he went on and carried on with it. And I just got burned out on it, you know. But I've got that wick, uh, wicked sense of humor. And, you know, I'll, 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 I'll tell you the one time I, I was kind of mean to somebody on stage. But I, I, it, was, it was mean, but it was funny because I'll do the, um, uh, I'll play the James Bond music. This is one of my routines I came up with. And I'll say, every time you hear this music, you can find the best looking woman in the audience, take her by the hand, kiss her hand, and see your best English accent by Ms. Bond, James Bond. And then you can kiss her hand, take your seat back. So I'm doing it at this club, and the guy's going to every woman in the audience but his wife. And she's getting pissed. And I think, okay, well, now I'm going to do my good deed. <laughs> now I'm going to do my good deed. I said, on the count of five, you got to walk over to your wife. You get on your knees. You're going to profess you loved her. Take her hand and profess how much you loved her. One, two, three, or five. So he gets up on, he gets on his knees. He grabs her hand. He goes to tell her how much she loves her. I hit the James Bond music. He gets up and walks away <laughs> like somebody else. I thought, that's what, I thought, Matt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to hell for that one more team. But it, it was so funny, and people in the club just loved it. It was that I've got to really kind of censor myself a lot. Yeah. yeah. I take it that was a comedy club. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, they knew what they were coming for. Just to put that in perspective for people at home who are watching, everything in its context, comedy club, stuff like that, fine. They know what they're coming for. Yeah. Um, I love clubs. Give me a comedy club where I have an adult audience that pays to see me, and you'll you'll see me at my best. You'll see me firing all twelve cylinders. And uh, yeah. Because, what do you yeah. think the future of stage hypnosis is then? With all this political correctness, with it getting harder to get insurance, with more and more people springing up doing it, with magicians kind of devaluing it by presenting tricks on things like America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or the version thereof in different countries, and pr making it look like they're hypnotising somebody to read their mind, where in actual fact, they're not. <laughs> you know, all I, I of these stage hypnosis shows, people always want to see their friends do stupid stuff. And that, that's, the whole, that's the one thing I try to stress to people. Why, when, you, when you become a stage hypnotist, understand why are people coming to your show? When it comes right down to it, why are they coming to your show? They're not coming to see you, they're coming to see your friends, to friends do outrageous things. And the minute you understand that, and the more outrageous are the more contrast you can make make the friends do, as opposed to their natural personality, the more successful you're going to be. You know, so they, they you know, they, there's always going to be people that think hypnosis is fake. There's always going to be people that believe it's absolutely true. There's always going to be people in the middle. You know, and I don't know. It, it's it, the shows change. I mean, the shows are getting a little less risque, but it's entertainment. People say it's a good way to entertain people. 
When you think what we do for a living, we walk into a room full of strangers with nothing but 12 chairs or 20 chairs, and you convince strangers to let you kind of get into their mind. And we're not we're not using magic props. We're not we're just using our our wits. That that's what that's what kept me in stage hypnosis. I'll do shows with 25 people because I want to put myself in a situation where I'm challenged. That's what got me out of bit magic. Okay, well I can fool somebody with a magic trick. Who wants to fool them with a trick when you can really amaze them with something real? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Show them their own mind and show them how amazing their mind is. So obviously you use music. You already mentioned that. Do, what, what, yeah. do you use a lot of props? Some no. in England, you know, the stage hypnotists that work theatres or the bigger venues tend to have quite a lot of props. So it's more visual rather than just people waving their arms around or bobbing around in chairs. They, they make it a bit more theatrical. Um, I, 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 I'm, you know, I don't know what it's like in the States. I've only really seen a couple of shows in America, and that was uh, both of which were very good, I have to say. Um, well, you were there uh, when we went to uh, Anthony Cools and Ke- Kevin Lapine, yeah. Well, I haven't, I haven't seen Kevin, but Anthony, Anthony and Terry Stokes are two of my favorite adult hypnotists, and they both have drastically different adult shows, but they're both really, really funny. Anthony Cools will make you go, Oh my God! Did he just do, do that? Make him do that? And then the other, the other side of me goes, Oh my God! I wish I would have thought of doing that, you know. But he, he can get away with it, you know. And where Terry has a type of adult show where it's really funny and it's 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 adult, but you wouldn't be ashamed to take your 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 parents to see it. I mean, you know, it's, there's orgasms and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it's also very entertaining. So yeah. So where 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 do you draw the line, so to speak? I here, here's here's my, my ethics with my show. Everything if you watch all my shows, especially towards the later years, I don't do anything to make people uncomfortable. Everything smells good. There's no bad smells. Mm-hmm. If something person next to you doesn't smell bad, they smell good. It's the best smell you ever had in your entire life. You can keep sticking those into them. It's a very positive suggestion wise. Um, yeah, you can, your belly button's got crack jokes to make you laugh. It's um, it's all very positive. There's no uh, there's no wrap. Look, they don't wrap a belt around somebody's neck and tell them it's a snake, you know. Mm-hmm. Or uh, there was a hypnotist that used to say, "Oh, there's a scorpion on your arm. Get it off. Get it off." Or the you the room's on fire. You can't get out. Or the the big one where I was getting started was, "Oh, you got to got to pee, but you can't get out of your chair," mm-hmm. you know. Well, why why make somebody uncomfortable? You know, I've I've seen shows where I've seen hypnotists make people do things that make people on stage so uncomfortable, you can tell they get irritated, but they can't get out of the situation because they're hypnotized, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I'll say this, and I'm not trying to be egotistic, but in, in terms of sheer entertainment value, not originality or production, I'll I'll match my show with any hypnotist working today. You know. Because when you walk away, there's, 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 what, the way I can put it is, uh, you walk away because I'm a, I'm a likable person on stage. Mm-hmm. So, likable, I can get away with a lot of things other people can't. There was another hypnotist who passed away when I was getting started called Frank Santos. Oh, I've heard that name, yeah. Frank was this short little guy, Italian guy, and he had to do the most outrageous, he put dildos on women's heads, and he'd have other women give him hand jobs, and, the popsicle sucking, 
but it wasn't offensive because you liked the guy. He wasn't threatening. He was very entertaining. You walked away thinking, oh, that was funny. Where I've seen other stage hypnotists and do adult shows, you just cringe. You go, no, they shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I, just uh, I try to work within what I feel comfortable with and what I, I feel is right. And it might not be for other people, but it works for me. You know? I mean, I, I, the fact that I've done this for 40 years, I'm still working, says I must be doing something right. Well, a lot of things right, yeah, definitely. Um, What is the most unexpected, and I don't mean uh, comedic reaction to a routine, because obviously you get unexpected of them on a regular, regular basis. The most unexpected thing you've had happen in a stage show? Uh, The things they don't teach you about in the books. I I, I do the the routine where... uh, Every time I see hypnosis, the guy's guy sitting next to you is pinching your butt, mm-hmm. but the, the guy's going to deny it. And the, this what I did that is hypnosis. This woman's getting really out math. This kid's a high school show, and it's a grad night, a, lock, a lockdown, and she's hitting the guy. And after about the third time, I go hypnosis. She goes, leave your, leave your, touching me. And he goes, I can prove I didn't pinch you. I'm gay. He outed himself in front of the whole class. Oh, right. I, I did that. I did a Navy base and I did the James Bond. You can find the best looking woman in the audience. This guy kept on going to other guys. That's a common one. Oh. I did the James Bond at a high school graduate assembly and the kid walked to this teacher as a sex and kissed his teacher's hand. But just that kind of stuff. I mean, there's other stuff like, um, my, my buddy goes, I got a good routine for you, Jim. Do the, the imaginary tug of war. It'd be so funny. You get, okay, you, so I got five people on one side tugging on the rope, five people on the other side, and they're tugging the invisible rope. They're going back and forth. One side decides to let go of the imaginary rope. Everybody else tumbled off the stage. Oh. The, off the stage. Oh, and the stage, is luckily, they got foot off the, off the floor so nobody got hurt. All right, thank God. But, you know. Yeah, those are those are the kind of things, you know, that kind of throw you. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a bit bloody hell. Yeah. Um, randomly going off a monkey, it's just jumped into my head. Some people think that stage hypnosis is. I mean, I, I believe it's largely, you know, the social compliance thing. People have got the perfect excuse to make a fool of themselves because they can say the hypnotist made me do it. Yeah. But. There's lots of people. There's people out there who think it's all about stooges and the, the the pay to play along. Now we both know that that would be financially non-viable in terms of doing shows. You'd be paying out all your bloody money on people. However, I do know, and I'm not going to mention names, but I do know certainly in England some stage hypnotists who will, um, when they are filming. DVDs for release as opposed to the nightly back of the room sale one uh, or doing a television slot will employ stooges. Now I'm using the fingers like that when I say stooges because no doubt their argument would be that these people are people who've been hypnotized before and shown themselves to be incredibly responsive and attended many shows and that's why they asked them to the taping of the show but i do know some that well 
and I've done it myself on one or two TV shows in the 90s. I wanted to guarantee a certain outcome. I also didn't want to put any member of the public in any potential psychological trauma, um, which if people go on my website, you'll see. I did some things that, well, I was I was an idiot at 17, let's put it that way. <laughs> and to get headlines, I, you know, I did rape, a rape routine on television in 1990 uh yeah january 1994 now i kept quiet about it for years but i've got the proof and i've got the video proof that it was a paid actress nowhere did she ever suffer any or have any chance of suffering anything psychologically so that's an example that's me laying it on the table and being honest i've used a stooge in that context in the past is there any circumstance where you ever have or would ever consider doing? Well, when, when I was getting started, especially in this, doing this local San Francisco shows, I had one friend of mine that was a really good hypnotic subject, and I'd invite him on all, all my shows because I knew he would go under. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. But I, that way I knew I at least had one person going under. But there's there's some famous hypnotist in Vegas, a guy who had been doing it for many years, who was very popular, he's not doing it anymore. He used to just all the time, the same two or three people all the time. Um, but, you know, I, like I, I did the West Virginia State Fair. I was doing three shows a day for nine days. And the guy comes up and goes, oh, these are all stooges. These are actors you hire. And I said, how am I going to hire 20, 60 people a day for nine days yes. and make any money? But they're going to believe what they're going to believe. I, I've gone out of the I've gotten out of the mindset where I've got to convince them. I'll explain it to them. And I'll say, well, if that's what you believe, then that's what you're going to believe. And that's up to you. But, you know, I'll explain it to them. And. I'll just walk away. Have you ever, um, I volunteered the only, oh, hang on. I was going to say the only stage hypnotist I've ever volunteered for was uh, Peter Powers years ago, but that's not true. I also volunteered for a show of Ken Webster's uh, donkeys years ago when I was wanting to see, was anything being said on stage? Were stage whispers being said, you know, come on to G them up. And my conclusion was that they are, but not necessarily as the sceptics would think. More in a, well done, you're doing well, G it up type kind of way. I mean, do you use off-mic cueing? No, but I, I, had, I had a friend of mine, his whole show was, you'd whisk people, people's ear, just go along with it. You're not hypnotized, just go along with it. He would tell all his volunteers that. All right. Well, I wasn't thinking in that to, to that degree. I don't yeah. like, you know, you start them it's doing like, a routine. I, you know, what, I, what, I'll, what I'll do, you know, usually if, like if a routine, if something's going on on stage, let's say a person's doing a routine and other people are on stage, while they're doing that routine, I'll go up to these people on stage and I'll touch them on the head and I'll go, okay, now, deeper and deeper, just relax. You're doing good up here. I'll talk to them like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and kind of do positive reinforcement throughout the show. Right. But, okay. well, I never, never kind of give them direction at all yeah cool um you notice that whatever happens on stage you're responsible for good or bad yes. I, mean, I, I did a show at a comedy club and i said okay everybody take a deep breath let it out and the woman on the front front table of the comedy club hit the hit the floor and it turns out she had heat stroke uh. and it just happened to happen as i started my induction Everybody looked at me like, what did you do to her? And I got her back up on the chair and I tried to do my show, but nobody on stage would go under. They were afraid. Yeah. 
but whatever happens on stage, it's always you know, the hypnotist always gets blamed. You know, even when it's not your fault or yeah, it's not your fault. Their fault because we have to. We're living in that day and age. We're back to what we said before. There are female stage hypnotists as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's quite yeah. a lot in America actually. In England, yes. we don't have very many, but in America, you seem to have quite a lot of um, female stage hypnotists. Men like men like women to hypnotize them. Well, there is that. Yeah, well, there is that. Um, yeah, well, it is ultimately, isn't it? It's a yeah, sort of fetishy um, thing. Do you? I heard rumours that Pat Collins. Uh, anyone who doesn't know, search Google, search YouTube. Pat Collins was known as the singing hypnotist. The hip, uh, hip hypnotist. The hip hypnotist, yeah. And she sang with live accompaniment. She'd sing rather than having backing tracks for the routine. She'd sing it. And she had a, I believe she had like a cabaret club in Vegas. She had, she had a, she had a club on Sunset Strip, and she had a three-piece band, and. Uh, she, she was probably the biggest stage hypnotist in the States that people would know because she was in, uh, she did I Love Lucy. She did Love America Style. She was in a couple of movies. Um, and I, I, I honestly, I got a chance to meet her twice. Uh, oh. I was, uh, my, my, I'll tell you a good story. Um, she was at the, she was doing her Showtime specials and she was at the Circle Star Theater in, in, in Santa Bay Area. And they called my cousin up and they said, you want to open for her? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was on my birthday, believe it or not. And so I went over there and I got to meet her. And this is 30 years ago when I was quite not so famous, kind of on my way. And I was too tongue-tied to say anything to her. Uh, uh, I miss Collins. I, li- uh, I like your show. Uh, <laughs> you know? And... Uh, she had done three Showtime specials, and uh, she still couldn't fill the whole Circle Star Theater. They had to cut it in half. But um, yeah, it was it was interesting. Yeah. Bloody hell! It just goes to show being on TV doesn't necessarily automatically equate to bombs yeah. on seats. It was, it was so cool that I got a chance to meet her. And she was she had that she had that really stage commanding presence. Sometimes you ever, you ever read her tears that just radiate energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one, uh, Richard Pryor, I see Richard Pryor in, live, and he was one. You could feel the energy coming from the, the energy from the stage, and she had that kind of, a, that kind of maybe it was just confidence, because she had done so long so often, you know? Yeah. But yeah, well, I guess... There's a point, doesn't there, when you've done something for so long... Uh, all right, you've as you said, you vary a bit, so you don't go out your mind crazy and you don't get bored with it you, you change it up a bit but the, the essence is roughly the same is it of a stage hypnosis show you've got to get volunteers pre-talk get volunteers hypnotize them deepen it tell them post-hypnotic they've got to do stuff when you tell them to yeah. do your routines wake them up remove all suggestions make sure the structure is pretty much the same that you yeah. do year in year out so i mean you could probably do it in your sleep quite literally um, yeah, but we we forget. I mean, we, for us, it's just okay. Well, okay, did a show, big deal. But for people watching it, a lot of times that's the first time they've ever seen it, you know. Uh, you know but so you know, like you said, if I if somebody said to me right now, hey Jim, there's 20 people on a chair and in the room next to you, can you do a show? 
I, I, I it just goes on like that. I, I don't have to do any pre-warm up. I don't have to psych myself out. It's just very natural. I've done shows where I've been tired. I've done shows with strep throat. I've been shows, and uh, when the show starts, the, the adrenaline kicks in, and people never know it. And it's just, just, it's just second nature. It's just, you know. But here, here's, here's my question, you, because we both been doing this for a while. Yeah. How real is reality? If you know what I mean. What is reality if you can change somebody's perception of reality so easily and so completely that they can they can smell ammonia without reacting or bite into a lemon or onion without reacting? How real is reality? How much is expectation versus the actual reality? Uh, expectation, without a doubt, um, um, I believe is well expectation in the context of whatever information someone's got to work on, whether that be true or not, definitely yeah. is what alters perceptions. I mean, even politicians do it all the time, feeding misinformation to people to change their perceptions of what's going on. It's that salesmen do it, don't they? You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's happening everywhere. So I know, I know I flippantly said before, hypnosis, I think they're just playing along. And I do, I do with stage hypnosis. Um, to... But I do think that one or two of them probably end up tricking themselves or convincing themselves oh, that yeah, they've been definitely. in some special state because it's just easier for them to end up believing that than to have to try and rationalise to themselves why they did whatever they've just been doing for the past 60 minutes or so. So then arguably that means they are, have just been hypnotised if they genuinely believe that. Yeah, the case. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's a paradox. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I just I just started putting a routine back on my show that I did years ago, and I seen it on a video of a show I did like 20 years ago. And so it's a blank piece of paper. And I'll show people on the other side, blank piece of paper on both sides. And I'll take two people on stage, I'll say, hey, this person, it's the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. This person, it's the saddest thing. And I'll wake them up, and one person will laugh, one person will cry. Okay, when I snap my fingers, you laugh, you cry. Then I'll do that, and I'll stop the routine, and I'll say to people in the audience, it's not what you think, it's your perception of things. If you, if you, if you, if you think something's funny, it's going to be funny. If you think something's sad, it's going to be sad. You know? And that, to me, that to me gives such a clear demonstration of uh, the power of suggestion that it blows people away. And I did that for years, and I, I yeah, you know, I, I do so many things that I, I'll watch shows from 20, 20, 30, 40 years almost, and say, oh, yeah, I wonder why I stopped doing that, you know? But that, that I, you know. So well, time's running away with us, so I, I, I'm going to have to get my skates on with these last few questions. Uh, <laughs> stage hypnosis is your speciality, but obviously I, I'm sure you've done uh, hypnotherapy at some point. Pretty oh, much yeah. every stage hypnotist I know does. I'm a certified hypnotherapist in California. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what's your view on the differences? Because I don't personally, I think hypnotherapy is like doing a stage hypnosis show, except you've got a grand total audience of one person, and that person's also the participant. But kind of structure-wise... There's a pre-talk, there's an induction, there's a deepener. Yeah. You're putting in 
Structure-wise, it's pretty much, certainly the way I perceive it, it's doing a stage show. It's just that instead of making them jump around like Elvis, you give them suggestions they no longer need, want, crave, or desire for cigarettes or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, a lot I of therapists spend so much time telling their clients, oh, it's nothing like stage hypnosis. And I think that people that go to see a hypnotherapist who ask that question, oh, is it like stage hypnosis? You're not going to get me to run around like a chicken, are you? I think these therapists that turn around and say, no, it's nothing like that, a, 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 a weakening, a, a, a giving up some of their power and ability to help the client. Could I, I turn around to them and say, well, yeah, it is like that, but you've only paid for an hour of my time. So if you want me to get yeah. you to do the chicken stuff, you're going to have to pay more money. And obviously the person laughs and goes, no, I don't want that. But they feel reassured that you won't do it, but also believe that you could have done it. Therefore, you must be a good hypnotist. <laughs> I'll do shows and people come up to me after the show saying, oh, I want you to help me quit smoking. I've been to four hypnotherapists. They can't help you, but I'm sure you can. Isn't that interesting? Because they believe they believe I have the power. I, I, did, the, I did this comedy club in Iowa. Uh, three times, and the guy, a real nice guy who ran it, and big, heavy guy, and he was going to have gastric bypass surgery. And they wouldn't do it because he was type A personality, and he had to give up chewing tobacco. And he had tried everything his whole life. And so the third time he did the club, he called me and said, Jim, can you help me? So he had seen my show three times. I had made his mother go to the bathroom, take her bra off, and put on that side of her clothes. So he knew it was real. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to help you. So I took him in the back room and came out and he quit. And my wife, uh, Pauline, she goes, what would you say to him? I said, ooga booga, ooga booga, ooga booga. It didn't matter. He had the belief that I could make him quit. And so all I had to do is just kind of reinforce that he had the power and that, you know, the usual. He had the power to, that chewing tobacco had no control over him. But it was more his, in his mind. He was sure that I could help him. He was sure the results were to come for me that he quit. And He'd already name, decided that you were the trigger to that. Quickly as that. And that's he had he had shoot tobacco stents, he had a surgery, and you know. And that's always the that's what hypnotherapists don't understand. Part of it is creating the belief that yeah, you have the knowledge to help the people that are coming to see you. And part of it is putting the responsibility on their shoulders. When I, when I first, because I, I was doing my rainmaking show when I got into hypnosis, and then when the rainmaking show was over, I still couldn't make living full time doing it shows, so I do smoking sessions. And I say to people, come to me with the attitude of you're going to quit smoking, whether the session works or not. Otherwise, don't bother coming. And with that mindset, I had a really high success rate with my smoking sessions because I would tell them right ahead, you know, come with the attitude, whatever you want, whatever you want, it's going to happen. It's going to happen whether it's hypnosis or not. Mm. And if you come in the right mind frame with hypnotherapy, then that's half the battle. Yeah, I agree. Opinion. I think I think it's probably more like 75, 80% of the battle. Yeah. Uh, if you've set it up. And the thing is, as a stage hypnotist, in my experience, I don't know, you may, you may have had totally different experience, but I've found that the hardest shows I've ever had in the 30 years I've been doing stage hypnosis is ones where... They've lied to me when they booked me. Yeah. The person who's booked me has told me that everybody knows it's been advertised for weeks in advance. And I get there and then they spring that it's a surprise party. 
and the person whose party it is doesn't even know there's going to be an it. In fact, none of the guests know. Only they know who's booked it. And it's like, oh, for flip's sake. Yeah. I get that all the time. And I'll tell them, I'll say, tell, tell people, make sure you tell people it's important because that way your guests will have the chance to decide whether they want to try it or not. Oh, okay, I will. And then, well, we got surprise entertainment for you guys tonight. And yeah. But that's what kept I love doing shows for 25. I do shows for 10 people. Because the the thrill of falling on my ass, I could totally walk in there and just fall on my ass and bomb is what keeps me going. It's a challenge. Can I get can I do a show? With 10, can I get enough people under with ten people in a room so that I can pull a show off and I'll love it? And here's the thing I found: if I get one person or two people under, they're they're ecstatic. Whoa! Look what you did to Marion. Well, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, you know, I know, and you know that, you know, it's not your best work. You know, you're better with 100, 200, 300, 400 people in a crowd, but they're happy. And so, you know. So and I, I imagine you will get all the, definitely get all the work out of that because there's a lot of stage hypnotists out there that just wouldn't walk on stage if there was only 10 people there. They just wouldn't do it. I know if I have 10 people in the room and there's two people that really want to try it, chances are I'll get at least one of them under. If I get one person under, I can do a whole show. I've done many a show with one or two people. And, Excellent. Uh, yeah. And I, and I feel more responsible. I'll, I'll do, you know, I get 2500 for a corporate show, but I, I, if I do a, like a private party for $1,000, I feel more responsible to do a good private party show because $1,000 to these people for a birthday or an anniversary is a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot more in comparison to a company that's got a bloody yeah. big budget. Yeah. For me, it's more important to do a good private show. You know, so that's just my, my belief, you know. I, I agree with you. Um, excellent. So my final question, because I've run over the hour, but hey-ho, there will be no editing. This will go out as it is when it goes up on Hypnosis Week. My final question is the one that I've asked everybody. Um, now, I'm going to ask it you in the context of stage hypnosis. Obviously, therapists have asked them in, in that context. If somebody was to come to you um, with either no knowledge, no experience, no background in stage hypnosis, or at most they perhaps got hold of a copy of Ormond's book, the Encyclopedia of Stage Hypnosis, and had a, a read over it, but they decided they wanted to be a stage hypnotist, what would your three top tips be to them in terms of learning what they needed to know and also getting the balls to go and try it in the first place. The first thing I tell them is you can be self-employed. So if you're not good at, at being self-employed and not getting a paycheck, go get into it. Um, the most important, I, I would say the three things I would t- tell them is, you know, just, just learn a good induction that works for you. And it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's an instant induction or progressive relaxation. Just find what works for you, your personality, and find what you know, and stick with that. And don't quit. Just no matter what happens, there's there's times I'll do shows and the shows won't go good. At least I don't think they're good. And I'll sit there even to this day. I'll sit there and say I never want to do another show in my life. I'll walk away so disgusted, you know. But don't quit. The hardest part's getting started. When you're starting to be a stage hypnotist, it's a catch-22, and that is nobody's going to hire you unless you have a good show, but you can't have a good show unless you have some experience. So 
well, you, I, I'll tell, tell people you're, you're, you're learning stage hypnosis. They'll sit there and say, well, hypnotize me, hypnotize me. I used to do birthday parties, you know, and we'd have parties at my, my house, you know, and I see, you, know, you guys want to see the show? And just practice it, everybody. And say anything else in life, you never give up. You know, you know, I'll quit when I'm dead. And then you'll find a way of uh, advertising from the underworld. Be the first person to do that, just like you were with the first person to have the website. Zealous, his show from the grave starting out. I won't put it past you. So thank you so much for your time. For the people watching, that may have seemed rather conversational. You probably guessed by now that these interviews are. What I would say is, as always, if you get a piece of paper, well, a pad and a pen, if you're interested in stage hypnosis, go back to the beginning and this time watch, but make notes. Because there's actually been shed loads of liquid gold advice, starting off with, don't always follow what everyone else is doing. Do things differently, which James definitely did. You've got to be proactive. You've got to do something. In James's case, it was breaking into the internet, building up a reputation through word of mouth. Don't worry what other people are doing. As you just said there, a lot of people go, you've got to do rapid inductions to be a stage hypnotist. Well, James just said, if you do a slower induction, a more progressive one, it doesn't matter if if it gets you going and you then get experience and get better. And there's so many other things he's mentioned. If you take notes, you'll see there's gold to learn. And I would advise you to go to his website, which you can see in the background, zealous.com. And he has got shows completely unedited. So with the induction in there, with the pre-talk, not to copy word for word, but to see a master at work. So you can then start to understand what reading in your book is one thing, but seeing it actually done, I believe it is way more, more powerful. So um, thank you so much for your time, James. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to be able to catch up with you later in the year when hopefully I get out there to Vegas. Let's go, let's go, 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 go back to Vegas, get the three foot margaritas again. Yeah, hey, that's fun. <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Speaking of which, James came along. Jay Novelzada, um, the magicians will know from HTG Live and Penguin Magic and stuff. Uh, the street hypnotist crowds will know, will know him, but he, he took me over to Vegas in 2013. Yeah. Something like that. And James came along one of the day, and, and amongst uh, partying, drinking, socialising. Obviously, I had to run a bit of a seminar, and he came in and he, he he very kindly answered people's questions on everything and anything that they asked for well for well over an hour. It was about an hour and a half. And if you get hold of the, I think it's called HTG Live in Vegas videos that Jay made of that event, liquid gold information from James on the. Just as you will get if you go to HypnoThoughts Live in August in Las Vegas. Uh, their website's HypnoThoughts.com. James's is Zealous.com. You can see it in the background, but there will be a link below this video as well. Once again, thank you very much indeed, James. Thank it's you, John. Absolute pleasure, buddy. Good talk with you again. And for everyone watching, I'll see you next week on Hypnosis Week. <laughs>